0: Welcome to the Global River Church discipleship teaching of the week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and
1: other resources, visit globalriver.org. Yay! There we go. Oh, it's so hard to like have to come up and like sit when it's like, can we just like put that a repeat like three more times? <laughs> like the faith, you could just feel the joy in the room. Uh, my mom and I are excited. Um, when we were praying about, we really didn't, really didn't share what each other had on our hearts. Um, the one sense we had was that my mom's going to start because I've been grafted into the family. So she's going to share some stories and what's on her heart. And then I might, you know, tag team in and share what daughter's perspective is. Um, and we're just going to kind of go from there.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, as we were both praying and considering what to say, um, I've been saved for 34 years, and that's a lot of testimony. So I said, Lord, you're going to have to really skim this back and just help me to highlight what you want the people to hear tonight. And so what I felt to share was an overall theme that I saw in looking back with my walk with the Lord of how he took me from a place of just being a churchgoer to someone who found truth and then moved me into places of faith I never expected to be in. And so I hope what we share tonight will encourage your faith. Um, everybody's walk is different. Um, but I, I, like Alicia said, when I started thinking of so many ways God has blessed us and had just poured out his love on us, it made me cry. I had to stop thinking about it. It was like, God, you're so good. What, what few things can I say tonight? And so as I begin, I just wanted to, to share um, my own personal testimony very briefly began. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family. I was the oldest of five kids, and my parents were very godly people. They loved church. I never heard them say anything bad about it. We were there every time the doors were open. And they continued to be like that. My mom has gone on to be with the Lord. My dad is still alive. But I don't have a testimony of falling into addictions or very deep sin. I have a testimony of finding myself as a self-righteous person who didn't need very much help and couldn't see why Jesus needed to be anything more than who I saw in church on Sunday morning. And so my journey began as a Catholic, all those years, just going to church. That was my only experience of God. We, my parents prayed somewhat. Um, it was a good life. I made good grades in school. I was a good kid. I liked being a good kid. But sometimes when you're a good kid, it gives you an attitude that's just as bad as somebody who has a bad attitude. (laughs) It doesn't always pan out that way. And so when I got to be in high school, um, we no longer were able to go to a private school, and they put us in public school. And that's when I started to meet friends and teachers and a lot of other people who had a very different perspective than I did about who God was and what church was and what it was supposed to be. And I began to question, well, if one of my friends never goes to church and nothing bad seems to happen to her, how come I'm thinking that I have to go to church? And I began questioning. And basically what I was looking for was the truth about God. And I really couldn't have defined it that way. I was just kind of saying, okay, God, There's a whole lot of other opinions out there. So what do I do with that? Who's right? Are we right? Are they right? How do we find the answer? And that actually took several years before I finally got to a place. Tom and I had gotten married. We were both 20 years old. And the baby started coming right away. We had two young children at the time.
1: Yeah, I came.
0: (laughs) You came? After after like four. She's like before. She came came later. (laughs) The two oldest ones were there. And Tom's sister was going to a Pentecostal church that was right next door to the Catholic church where I went every week. And she kept inviting us to come. And I kept thinking, why is she inviting us to come? I have a church. Because I just didn't get it. She did. Thank God for people who love us. And so she just kept inviting us and just kept inviting us. And at this point in time, we had been married for about five years and things were getting a little rocky. Our relationship wasn't a honeymoon anymore. We both were trying to work and have two kids and all the stress that comes with that. And I think at that point, I was beginning to realize that maybe I didn't have this whole life thing all wrapped up, that maybe I did need help. And I was beginning to try to find some source of help and so i did i went with her one sunday and when i walked in the door they were practicing worship getting ready and i couldn't explain why i just started to cry and i was like stop that stop that get it together get it together you know and i, I managed to to sit through service but i literally sobbed through the entire praise and worship and through most of the message It just, it didn't work. So I was trying to figure out what is happening to me. I didn't realize that I was hungry and I was thirsty for God, not just a church experience. And he was softening my heart and helping me to see that I needed more than what I had. And so at this point, I went back the next week. My sister-in-law wasn't there that week. And I went in again myself. And I shook the pastor's hand and instantly started crying again. This time I managed to at least cry through praise and worship and stopped so I could hear the message. But that Sunday, there was an altar call for salvation. And everything in my spirit just said, go now. This is what you need. And I gave my heart to the Lord that Sunday. And that began the beginning of my understanding of the truth of who God was. It was just like being a sponge because we had never really been taught that the Bible was where your truth is. And you don't, you know, there's a a form of godliness there, but some of the truths are just ignored or not really brought home. And so we just sat there like sponges. Tom had come with me, and, and we were bringing the little ones along. And so we just, for the next, I'd say, 13 years, We were in Bible studies, Sunday school. We did Royal Rangers missionettes. We did everything because we just were these little hungry sponges and the truth of God was coming alive to us. And during that season, we felt led of the Lord. Uh, We got baptized in the Holy Spirit pretty early on and we felt led of the Lord to begin homeschooling, um, which we knew would be a challenge. At that point, I think we had three of you, four of you.
1: I think there were three of us at that point. I wasn't
0: quite here. I, I told her she's going to have to help my brain. I, is, my memory is remembering this stuff. Yeah, I think there were three of us at that point. So we, we started it, but we knew that in doing that, that it was going to be a financial sacrifice, that that was probably going to be a hard way to make ends meet. Tom worked the one job, and that man worked as hard as I could see anybody work to keep bread on our table and to keep us moving forward a few years down the road there were five kids we bought a house things seemed to be going okay and I was pressing into the Lord more at prayer I was trying to press more into intercession and trying to learn what that was all about and one night I had a dream I don't normally dream so when I do dream it's usually a warning either for myself or for somebody we know. And the warning. I saw a river, and it was a turbulent river. And over it was a bridge. And I saw myself standing on one side, and the bridge is really close to the water. And the Lord was just showing me that I was going to walk across this bridge over very troubled waters, but that I would get to the other side. When you have dreams like that, you're kind of like, ooh, okay, Lord, I know that's an encouragement, but I don't know what that means, and I don't know if I like that, but uh, I'm thanking you that you're giving me a heads up. But what we ended up going through after that point is where the third part of the church to the truth to the faith really kicked in because as spirit-filled believers and as learning that part of the truth of God is to walk in the faith that his promises are true, that they are yes and amen, and when troubles and storms and trials come, we run to him, trusting in him and not away from him. And so what ended up happening was my husband had had his own business and he was doing well at it, and shortly after I had this dream the phone just stopped ringing. Everything slowed down and money just stopped coming in. And we were like, is this our fault? Did we do it? We're all repenting, we're all soul searching, we're trying to figure out what did we do wrong? We're this church going family, we're doing everything right. How could this thing happen to us? What is going on? And so we we started to try to figure out everything we could. And in the end, we were like, God, if it's our fault, forgive us. If it's not our fault, help us. We just have to look to you to get through this season. Well, we were kind of hoping that prayer would make it go away, but it didn't. (laughs) So we found ourselves looking at foreclosure and keeping food in the table and a roof over our heads And the Lord just kept reminding me about that dream. And I felt more that this, whether it was our fault or whether it wasn't, that it was a season of testing, of trial. How would we handle our lives when the blessings seem to stop? Would we still trust him? Would we still serve him? Would we still go to church faithfully? Would we get angry? How would we answer it? It was a matter of faith. And so I get all these ideas and I'm like, okay, we're, we're going to get through this kids and, and, and we're going to sit down and we're going to ask the Lord what kind of house we're going to have next because we realized we weren't going to keep this one. The bank said, no, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's, you have a certain day you can sell your house, but that's the way it's going to go. So we ended up in a circle one day and I said, what would you like the Lord to give you in a house? And so one said, I want a nice big yard. And somebody else said, a lot of bedrooms. And I'm sitting there thinking, two-car garage would be nice in a basement. And, and we're all just kind of wish listing, So we put all of that out there, hoping that somehow that would happen before the date that the sheriff posted a note on the door. And the whole while, I'm trusting that maybe somehow it'll work out. And what ended up happening? was we didn't have the sheriff's notice on the door. We did end up selling our home so that we had some resources to live on. But on the day that we sold the house and we had to move out, the real estate market in Jersey, if we're from New Jersey, at that time there had been a period where the housing market had really peaked and it spiked high, but then the bottom dropped out. And so people were going into foreclosure right and left Um, they were selling their homes, and at this point, trying to find a rental was near impossible. We weren't in a position to buy again. We had to find a rental. There was nothing. We were calling people, and they were like, I'm sorry ma'am, there's a list of 10 or 20 people already. At that time, Age. we looked in the want ads to try to find things <laughs> we didn't have things on our phone you looked in the paper we were looking we were calling we were trying to find some place while all the while grappling with this thing of God what did we do wrong and he kept just assuring us this is gonna work out this was gonna work out so Amy was she's gonna share her own idea of what happened as well But at the end of that period, we ended up moving from place to place temporarily. There was a shore rental we were able to get into, and then we stayed with my mom for a while, and even my little Catholic mom was like, come on, God, give them a place. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to believe she said that out of true sincerity, not that she was tired of all seven of us living with her. But, and then we went to another two bedroom home and then we ended up finally, it was the most unique circumstance because we did have, we still traveled when we were staying with my mom, we drove an hour and a half every Sunday to the church where we were going because that was our support. And so we went there and we just soaked in the worship and tried to hold on to our faith as much as possible. But we also learned that during a time like that, not everybody understands what you're going through. And some of the things that were said were hurtful. A lot of the things when you're trying to hold on to something in faith are, well, you need to do everything practical you can. And I'm thinking, we are. We are. What more can we do? But there was a point when I had called one day three or four places to get a rental. And I kept hearing, no, there's 20 people. No, you'll never get in there. I knew our credit would never approve us for anything. I just put the phone down. And I had to say, God, it's you or it's nobody. I can't keep calling. This is bringing my spirit down unless you show me who to call or who to talk to. We just got to leave it be. We're trusting you. You've got to do this. And during those times, we would take we a little keyboard and we would just sing little bits of choruses to try to keep our faith up. We were trying to fight and believe God for something. We did that for seven months. And at the end, about the fifth month, a friend of my husband's approached him and said, hey, I got a job offer for you and I think I've got a man who can help you. It was the most unique situation. It was a very wealthy Jewish man who lived in Lakewood, New Jersey. Lakewood's got about 40,000 or more probably now, Orthodox Jews, it's a very large Jewish community. He was a wealthy landowner He had a lot of homes that he rented out to people. And he not only offered us one of his homes to live in, he offered Tom a job working in his apartment complexes doing maintenance and fixing different things there. And he had been a Holocaust survivor. So it was the most unique opportunity. The Lord himself orchestrated it and brought it all to pass and so We moved into that home in October. That was seven months after the whole thing began. And at that point, we began to see God do so many incredible things. Not only did he sustain us through all of those seven months, we always had food and a roof over our head. There wasn't anything like that that ever happened. But Tom had the most incredible opportunities to go into the homes and apartments of Jewish people and be a light there he was fixing their sinks he was fixing things in their bathroom but you can't make those things up you can't create them as a testimony or a witness to those people the kids and I we, we had a church in our house for a short period of time and that's when all of the kids decided to start playing their instruments And so we began just kind of scratchy, sounding really bad in the beginning. But the Lord used that time in that house with a little basement that we had. And everybody had a desire to learn a different instrument. Uh, Amy did the keyboard. We had two guitarists, Kyle and my other son, Matt. Matt also plays the flute. Um, And then Shelly danced at the time. That's our oldest daughter. We have five kids all together. Uh, And so that period of time, is when the Lord just began to move in us as a family, just begin to sing and to worship the Lord. There were so many instances in our lives of where we never knew where provision was going to come from, but it always came. And he was so unique in how he did it. There were times when money just got tight through how we lived, And sometimes we would just hear a knock on the door. And someone would have left groceries there. There was a time when Tom got a call. This is one of my favorites. He got a call to go do a a plumbing job out at a farm. And it was a prophetic pastor who lived there. He had just butchered a pig. And as part of his payment, he sent us, he sent him home with this big pork roast. And if you don't eat pork, I'm sorry, but we're German. We love it. It was like God's gift from heaven. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was just awesome. And, you know, and one time when we we had like literally nothing in the fridge, I think I had a can of corn and a half a can of milk in there. And I was like, okay, Lord, what's going to happen today? Because of what was happening was our faith was beginning to grow It went from panicky to I can't see or why is this happening to me to a place of, okay, he's got this. Let's see how he's going to do it. And it began to grow where we would see over a period of time that I never would have seen if we hadn't gone through that. The faith became a place of where the day when I opened up the fridge and said, okay, there's a can of corn and milk, that's really not a good combo. Lord, please, what are we gonna do today? And that day, a lady pastor that I knew was on her way to a funeral in the area, she didn't live near us, pulled in the driveway and she said, God just told me to come and give you this and she handed me a $100 bill. That bought a lot of food that day. I got pretty thrifty (laughs) at how to, to make a meal go I am very thankful that that season has ended. (laughs) I am thankful for everything God did. And I wouldn't want to live through it necessarily again. But I want to give Amy a chance to say something. I'm not sure if I'll continue with the second half of our coming here or not. So let me give you a chance to talk.
1: Okay. Just passing the mic. All right. I'm excited uh, because, uh, yes, I lived it, but my faith is stirred hearing it because through we're hoping through the fragments, like she said, she has a lifetime, all of these stories that you're hearing ups and downs of finances and a lot of moving, a lot of a rental here, a move there. Uh-huh. So as the daughter on the side of things, mom and dad's actions in their pursuit of Christ is what I was witnessing. So I'm being raised in this environment With, to me, it's like, okay, we're going to march around the coffee table and sing this song. And then we're going to ask Jesus for dinner. Okay. Like, that was just became, you know, that was just something that I was watching in my family. I didn't know my parents were, you know, like praying out to the Lord and stressed out of their minds. And what do I do with five children? You know, I'm this little kid growing up in these stories. But what my side of the story, I want to infuse it with faith. Because what I began to grow up with was a role model of my parents putting on the praise music and having us march around the coffee table and praise Jesus and wave flags and thank him for his provision mm-hmm. and begins to be raised with a God and look for God to supply our need. Mm-hmm. Because as we asked him, we also got to see him provide. And as jobs began to come, as a house came, as things began to shift, as a child, I grew up and said, oh, this God is real. So growing up in this environment, I saw parents who were pressing into God for an answer, and I was being raised in a home to see, okay, so when I have a need, I can ask Jesus, and he will supply my needs, like the Bible stories at church they tell me about. Because it's one thing to just go to church, Mm -hmm. and I was hearing the truth, but I was literally seeing it lived out in my home environment. Mm -hmm. So that's the beauty of where kind of my testimony comes in. Mm -hmm. Granted, when I was nine years old, I'm being raised in a Christian house. My parents encouraged us to read the Bible and to praise and to worship and to press in. And I can remember as a child going to church and I can remember looking, standing next to my parents and seeing my mom lost in worship and just staring at her and the awkward way children stare at people in church. I don't know why children do that. And just like wondering, like, what is she thinking? What is she doing? Like, how do you talk to God when you're just like lost like that? I didn't understand. And then I would go home and I'd see mom, and it were, like one of my favorite things to do, like, okay, Sunday, I see her worship, and then by Monday morning, she's got the bills out, and she's praying, and all these paperwork's on the ground, and she's asking Jesus for, per, you know, provision. And I began to see, okay, the Lord just paid this bill, lights are not turned off, and this connection, so I began to ask, like, mom, what is worship? What do I do? Mm-hmm. So my parents encouraged me, go into your room, turn on your music, read your Bible, So I was listening to a song, I've shared this before um, one other time when we were talking about the worship nights. I turned on a song, the lyrics in that song was, this is my song to the poorest king who ever lived. Though he did nothing wrong, they took his crown and cast it down. Yet little did they know it was meant to be so we might be with him. I'll never forget the song as long as I live. Something inside of me turned, I was nine years old. I got my little child's Bible out. I read the account of the crucifixion. I had an encounter with Jesus, and I was never the same. I had that moment, but it was modeled through Christian parents, and it was modeled through this life of pressing through to get the faith and saying, okay, God, we need you. God was becoming real. I saw him answer. So what I, if there's nothing else you remember about my testimony, the one thing that sparks a fire inside of me, and I hope that you take home with you for your personal life, is God is real. Yes. As a kid, I saw God real. I saw my parents really struggle, and I saw them really do their best, and I saw parents that were real, and I saw a God that was present and that was real. With their ups and downs, we all have those ups and downs. But because I had parents who pressed into a God and showed me to press into a God that was real, I didn't have to walk and test everything out there to see if there was something that would satisfy Because when I was, we moved here, I was, what, 18? 18, 19? 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Yeah, about that. And I stepped into one of my first jobs at Food Lion. Mm. And I was raised in this Christian environment. I knew a God who was real. I knew that he would be my provider. And I lived in this very sheltered homeschooled environment. Mm -hmm. And when I started my first job in a grocery store, I had no idea I was walking into hell on earth. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, so it was food line. I'm decorating cakes. How bad could it be? And I can remember going for my first interview, and it went great. And the woman was basically like, look, we need help. You're hired. So I walk in there, and I think I was like one and two other people got hired the same day. We go in there, and I'm looking around. And I'm this little Christian girl who had this, like, oh, like, you know, all these God moments where groceries appeared and, you know, houses were provided for. I saw this God who was true and he was a real and he was alive. And then I'm walking into this department and the deli manager is cussing, like, sprinkled throughout the sentence. Every sentence ends with the F word as a period. And it's like things are falling off shelves. Like, you can almost feel the demonic oppression. Everyone's stressed out. They're yelling at one another. Like, I almost want to take the hat and hand it to him and be like never mind I didn't realize this is what I just signed for like we go through these moments right so now I'm having to go through my own walk because at this point mm-hmm. I'm trying to fast forward quickly to show you I saw my parents mm-hmm. and I was kind of grafted into what was happening with their story and their faith but I now how to walk it for myself mm-hmm. and it's one thing to know Jesus is true and he's good and he's at church but what was I going to do now that I was in a completely worldly environment? Yeah. Yeah. So I began working there, and goodness knows, there is so much filth and so much sin and so much darkness. I was like mute. I would go in, I learned, I trained, I did my thing, but I didn't say a word. I think the <laughs> store manager literally, like a month after I was there, Literally turned in his chair and stared at me when I said, like, hello for the first time. (laughs) Because I was so traumatized. (laughs) I was like, oh, my gosh. He was like, you do speak. Okay, we can work this out. (laughs) So as I'm working with these women, I was very quiet. I would listen and observe a lot. Mm -hmm. And there was one woman in particular. And her name... um, I'm going to disclose her name, I'm not going to disclose her name for the sake of sharing just a tiny bit of her testimony. There was an older woman there, and I noticed we worked some of the hardest shifts together. It was one of those deli managers upset, she's cussing and swearing in the corners, store managers upset because this, this, this isn't done, and all the pressures of working in this environment, right? Bosses aren't happy, which means everyone gets the pressure put on. And I'm new, so I don't know what I'm doing and I'm making mistakes. So I'm working very closely with this woman. And I notice that when she does things, she'll ounce and out, and she kinda hurts and she's sore and we're all just trying to power through the day. Well, as this month unfolds, I get through training. She begins, she she's a talker and she's venting. Well, one day we're on a really painful long shift together. It's going into probably midnight at this point, because I was closing. And she begins to tell me her story. And she starts going off about how she's an atheist and there cannot possibly be a God because of everything that she's lived through. Hmm. And at this point, I remind you, I'm not saying like a word, like hello is about the best I did to people. So other than when I first got hired, the one request I made of the manager said, don't make me work Sunday morning. I'll give you Sunday afternoon. I'll give you 2 a.m. The following day, Monday morning, just don't give me my Sunday morning time. That's all I asked. I said, I go to church. Mm -hmm. I'll give you the rest of the week. Just give me those couple hours to go to the house of God. So I knew I needed it. So the department knew this because Amy wasn't going to be there to help us on a Sunday morning when everyone's going to the beach and we need her. So she's venting. So I'm starting to hear she's putting together this quiet little Christian who goes to church. So she begins to pour out this story about how she was kidnapped that she had, she was in a relationship, and then the man ended up kidnapping her. You all know what happened shortly after kidnapping. She manages to escape from her situation. She stumbles down the street. She's barely able to pull herself together. A cop just so happens to be at the gas station down the road, identifies her, As so, says, wait a second, you're, you're like mugshots all over the news. You're being looked for because you were kidnapped picks her up, gets her to safety, and then she tells me this whole elaborate story about this man who abused her and this and that and set her house on fire. And and she wraps up this whole long ordeal, which is horrendously terrifying. And I'm just like, okay, we're just trying to like slice deli meat, you know. And all of this is coming out of this woman. And she just turns and looks at me. And she was like, so tell me there's a God. So I'm like, well... Kind of hard to just be like when I was 10 I prayed for bread and it showed up I don't know <laughs> like what do you tell this woman it was such a hard story mm-hmm. that the truth I have mm-hmm. I mean how do I how do I navigate this now mm-hmm. because that seems almost I don't know kind of almost silly in those moments mm-hmm. so I began I continue to work. Reg- I honestly do not remember how I answered her or if I even did. We were so busy at that moment just doing part of the job. The web manager probably walked up at that moment and was like, Stop talking, work. But oh <laughs> I love your laugh, Megan. Like you know. You know the pain. So within the next couple of weeks, I don't even think it was a week. It was shortly after that. I began working with this woman, I would just pour out, I would just be kindness and just let her talk, let her listen. Mm-hmm. And slowly, she began to open up and she began to trust and she would share things about her life. Well, one day she walked in and her whole face was white. She was white as a sheet. And I could tell she was off. And I was like, Ms. Kim, I was starting to talk at this point. You know, you want, I found her in the freezer. I was like, you know, you need help with anything? And she was like, Amy, you don't realize I'm sorry. I just said her name. You don't realize what I just, the word I just got. She said, I got a call from my doctor. I've been going to the doctor. I've been in a lot of pain. They just diagnosed me with fibromyalgia. I don't know what I'm going to do. There's no cure for this. Mm -hmm. And it's so hopeless knowing that now I don't have anything to get rid of this pain. And she just broke down sobbing in the middle of the freezer. So I'm just like, well, uh, you don't believe there's a God, but I do. Can I pray (laughs) like, is that okay? And she was so broken. She was like, yes, yes, yes. So we went into this little awkward, like really disgusting mop room where they store cleaners and I'm just like, I said the most pathetic prayer in Christendom. Like it was so sad. I was just like, God, you know her. Help her? Like, that was it. It was this little thing. And she just kept weeping and weeping and weeping. I began working with her. But you know what happened? Rewind, fast forward a couple more weeks as I just began to be kind and ask her how she was feeling and doing things. I kept going to church on that Sunday and I would work as hard as I could with her. And I would, I would lift the heavy boxes. I would find her and be like, let me do the truck. I'll move all the boxes. Get out of the way. I know you're in pain. Within a short period of time, one day she came and she looked at me and she said, You know what? There might just be a God or something, just because I know whatever you have is real.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And she began to see that what I lived, I had a real faith in God. Mm-hmm. I would pour out and I would give kindness. I never talked back to her, I never gave her any lip, I was just present, and I was there for what she needed. By the time she left, she left for other reasons in the company, we had gotten kind of rather close. She actually gave me some, you know, like a personalized like, Christmas gift and things, she was beginning to open up. And she moved out of state, and two years later, I worked at Food Lion for about 70 years, two years later, She came back to the state to see family, and she called the store and said, is Amy still working there? I don't wanna see any of the beep of you all, but is Amy there? And I was like, "Uh, yeah. She came right in the store, came right to me, and was like, I don't wanna see any of you people again, but Amy, I know is real, and she has something that's real. And I had a moment to minister to her. Mm -hmm. Why am I sharing these testimonies? Because yes, I realized that God was present and he was real, but when you're put in that situation, even being removed from the Christian environment, I want to encourage you that he can be so real. And he's the God who's present. I think it's Ezekiel 38. I wrote it down because my mind and numbers don't go well together. Yeah, Ezekiel 48. is where it's the God who's present. Jehovah Shema. He's the God who's there. He's a present God. And what I didn't realize it was the... That would be the theme of seven years of working in a food line deli. There were some of the hardest years of my life, but when stepping away from my family, I learned God is the provider. I learned that he was present. And when I met and talked with people who were broken, almost, I can't tell you how many times I heard people say, Amy, I believe there's a God because what you say and do is so real. real. You bring something real to us. Mm-hmm. It was almost like they could tangibly get a taste of Christ mm-hmm. in my example mm-hmm. because of what I was showing them and what I was giving them. Mm-hmm. That first week was one of the hardest weeks. I was hired in the worst time of the year. And in that store in Carolina Beach you <laughs> in that food line, if you survive a year, you were known in the region as being like, you have a mark, you've been favored, you can go anywhere in this company. So literally, I would, because I, I within a week, the very, first, I think it was maybe the second, third day, I was super new again. I was just smiling at people, wasn't talking. I walked by the produce manager and he was like, nice knowing you, like no one thought I would make it. And a week later, right after I started working, Smile on my face. I was pushing the grease that most people threw up over down to the grease <laughs> trap. I had a smile and he just looked at me. He was like, what are you on wanting? What do you have? Because I want what you have. Hey, hey. What is so real that you could smile doing that and you could endure the pressures of the department and so-and-so manager? What people begin to see as something that was lasting yeah. because of what I experienced and what I knew of my God, mm-hmm. because he was there for me. He was my provider. He was my protector. And yes, I was going to have a smile on my face and I was going to go, yes, because I was raised in a Christian family, but I knew that what I had inside of me was real and they could have it too. And I told him that. And he looked at me like I had two heads. I was like, I just have Jesus. Like, that's it. There's that's it. I can't tell you how many times I've been asked if I was on marijuana because people were like, why are you smiling and so happy? Because I have Jesus and it's real. This is the struggle of a Christian 28-year-old. I wanted to encourage you and lift it up a little bit because, yes, we go through those highs and lows. And I know all of you guys and so many of you have had stories, but we all serve a God who's real. And the world needs to see that. Yeah. They do. So many people, yeah, I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm a Christian." Without when the, And over the years of me working at Foo Lion, I worked with several lesbian couples. I've worked with gays, I've worked with transgenders. I've worked with three of the women, all at one time, for years, had all tragically lost their sons. And I would work with them. I hear their stories, and each one would tell me how their son passed away and what they experienced and how each one coped with it differently. And I, I saw in some of the darkest places of these people. Mm-hmm. But because I was willing to go there with them and just be light and be like, you know what? I have something that's real. Because I know when I pray, he's going to answer my prayer. Mm-hmm. He'll bring provision, whether it's food when we need food. Whatever it may be, doors began to open just because I'd be like, guys, I have something that's real and what you need over and over. and over, I could continue to give you story after story after story of times when people would just break and every single time, they would ask me, what do you have that's real? Granted, there were times when there were plenty of them That gave me a hard time at work. Not everyone was open and receptive to the gospel. Not everyone wanted to see what was real. Not everyone wanted to accept it was real. There always had to be something else. Well, no, that can't be it. Well, yes, it is. (laughs) It is God. It's not something else. I wanted to bring a scripture um, from Titus. I was reading it yesterday or day before, and I really felt like it kind of almost kind of summarized a little bit of my story. Um, Titus 2, um, verse 11 and 12, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Mm -hmm. And at first it kind of might look like, how does that fit? But when you consider the grace of God and the salvation how I accepted salvation, and we all accept salvation. He trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions Mm -hmm. and to live basically righteously in the present age where we're currently at. He is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Mm -hmm. Because we all have that salvation we all have that story we have that encounter with Jesus he's given us his grace we have the salvation and I learned in food lion he trained me to renounce ungodly ways because mm-hmm. I didn't have the testimony of going to a public school it was very easy to live in a little kind of pure bubble I didn't have constant peer pressure to keep, you know, to lose any form of purity or to try any substances. That all came through the food time at Food Lion. Mm-hmm. And I was able to go through that entire time at Food Lion and again, have a testimony. Because here I was at 19, 20 years old looking at them like, no, I've never tasted alcohol and I don't want it. Well, why? Because I have something that's real. Mm-hmm. And they would stare at me and I would stare at them and would be like, we're both like Not understanding one another, and that's okay. But, you know, I don't have to try that drug. I don't have to try whatever they put before me. I was able to train, I was trained to push aside all of those worldly things and all of those lusts and pleasures just because Mm -hmm. of a God who was real. Mm -hmm. My favorite testimony is the one I shared you about that woman, because a woman who started off claiming there can't possibly be a God within a two-year span of time, just by my living example, realize there's got to be something real out there. Just by my example and just by the testimony. And I want to encourage you guys that our light goes out so much brighter than sometimes we realize. We really do. Because we hold what's real when we go out there, sometimes just sitting in their presence is when they would break down. Mm. Just being present. Because we carry a God who's present and real. It's amazing. I'm seeing that at my job now. I'm no longer, I've transitioned from food line and now I'm in a clinic where I'm a scribe, a note taker for a psychiatrist for mental health. Mm -hmm. Some of the darkest, disgusting experiences and holes you don't want people to open and you have to open them and ask them about it. And sit there and be like, okay, so you're having an urge to cut. How would you like to cut? Do you have a weapon to cut? Do you want to kill yourself? You know, this is the kind of everyday conversation I have for eight hours. Mm-hmm. But being present with a God who's real, it's amazing. It's so amazing how I can just sit there. They can begin to weep, and then they're drawn. What do you have? I, I've never had this before. I'm so sorry. I'm crying. I'm so sorry. I'm crying. I'm like, it's okay. Okay. It's okay. You can cry it out, cause we're gonna get to Jesus. And I'm gonna get that in there and be like, well, what support do you have? You got any religious organizations anywhere you go? You know, why? Because we hold the truth. Yeah. And we hold a God who's present. And I keep reiterating that. Like I said, testimonies, I just I wanted to point it to Christ. Yes, I have a story. Yes, there are things I can share about my life and about work and about what it's like to be a younger Christian, try to navigate the world. But when you go home, I want you to remember that we got the truth. We got what's real. Yeah. And that should excite us more than anything. Yeah. Did you want to add? I want to kind of toss it back to you because yeah. I'm transitioning.
0: No, that, that's fine. Yes, I think we both came to the same realization, even though our walks were completely different. um, Because I started off just being a churchgoer in search of truth. But in everything that we went through, through the testings and the trials, is when my faith in who Jesus was himself came alive. It wasn't just something I believed, it was something I could live. That was a real reality for me. I think that's what he was trying to get me to get a hold of. This isn't just something you do in a building. This isn't just a a right way of living. Through seeing him provide vehicles and houses and financial things primarily and some healings along the way. I came through that period to finally, for myself, really love the cross and what that meant. Prior to that, it was an image that I sort of understood, but I came through that time of realizing I couldn't fix my own problems. There was no way I could do it. And when he did, the reality of that sacrifice he made for me became real it wasn't just a story it became real it became alive and sometimes as a mom you second guess things and you're like well i guess we really did live a sheltered life <laughs> you know <laughs> we really did it was kind of a nice way to be but you know we also transitioned as a family when we came completely out of new jersey the lord began to speak to us to come to north carolina that was 10 years ago And when we got here, he never really told us why we were coming. We just knew we had all these confirmations. We set everything aside. We came here. He he showed us the house we were going to rent and live in for a while. And for me, the reality check, um, the coming out of my own little spiritual place where I wanted to live with Jesus, was we went to a little country church. He specifically pointed to the one that we were supposed to be with. And the pastor immediately put us in charge of the youth Sunday school. And he said, I have a lot of problems in there. Maybe you and Amy can help out. (laughs) I was kind of like, okay. (laughs) But when we sat in there, I want to be careful how I say it. They were teenagers who could barely read or write. Their homes and the backgrounds that they lived were not Christian, even though they attended church. There was abuse. There were so many things that just broke my heart. To sit in there and listen to their stories was the beginning of my stepping out of my worship zone and trying to affect someone in the world for Jesus. There are hurting people out there. And we can't keep it to ourselves. And that was what I had to experience. and we stayed we did that for about five years, I guess, and the kids would come in, and some of them were struggling with homosexuality. They had all the different problems that they have. I would ask them, "What happens in this school with the way things go?" And, and they would tell me, some of the things that happened. I was just blown away. Kids can walk down the hall, girl and girl, guy and guy, kiss each other, do whatever, and nobody's allowed to say anything. You have to leave them be. There's all kinds of things that they had to deal with at home, some really violent situations. And it was the same thing like Amy experienced, that point of, okay, Lord, you're in here, you're real, we know you're real, but how do we express reality to these hurting kids who are still in that just-go-to-church zone. They have to see that he's real, too. And so we went through a season of of going through that there and um, just some real eye-opening situations just from some of the neighbors we had and all the different things that we experienced. But I think the bottom line of our testimony boils down to just the reality of Christ in our lives and how the Lord has been using us whether we were aware of it or not, that if we know he's real, other people will see it. And so we want to just encourage you tonight. I know we still have some time left. If people want to come and pray, they can. If we can encourage you at all, wherever you may find yourself, that pressing into that place of that faith where he is real so that we can affect those around us, we can agree that we can all improve together. Because mm-hmm. we're not there yet. We're still trying. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what we have.
1: Yeah. Before, before we transition to the worship song, I'd like to jump in because we talk about, you know, God being real and God being present. And I know you guys know this. One of the key ways God used me in Foo Lion to minister to all those people was through worship mm. and through a song, through humming and without fail. It was worship was definitely, cause I would go, I'm not always the best at articulating things. And mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, Lord, work on this whole evangelism. How do I do this? And talk to mm-hmm. them, and be like, do you know Jesus? It would look very different for me mm-hmm. because the way they saw it was real. When I got to my shift, As a deli manager, fast forward a couple years, but no matter, regardless of what I was doing, from 6 a.m., when I pulled in that parking lot, my Bible was open. I was reading it in the parking lot. I'd wait for the boss man to open the door. I'd go in. From 6 to 7, only associates are in the store. Uh I would turn on my phone. I would blast the volume. I'd worship to whatever came on. And... They all knew to avoid Amy because I was listening <laughs> to my Jesus music and I would release worship. Mm-hmm. And then I would, when the 7 o'clock op- the doors were open, I turned my phone off. Well, then I could go to the freezer to run the freezing truck and sing as I was throwing boxes around. <laughs> so they got about two hours of worship every day. They work with me. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those things where it began to actually really produce an atmosphere because I was bringing God in a reality of who mm-hmm. he was and making him present. Yeah. And I began to notice that the, the managers would circle and they would hover by the door and listen to what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And then an associate here or a coworker there would ask me, what are you listening to? i was like, well, why don't you share one of your favorite songs with me and I'll share one of my favorite songs with you, you know? And then open the door and worship. Again, go into the grease trap. The grease trap is the most despicable place on the face of the planet. <laughs> I was out like 13 associates, there was me three of us that would not throw up when we were doing the job. So about 10 of us, they couldn't do it. They literally would gag, it was, it was terrible. So I would just go down there and <laughs> I would just be singing a song and doing my job. And, and the people, cause it was out the back door and the grease trap is it's just terrible. You just, you, you put all your dirty grease there and it molds and it sits in the sun and it bakes all day. And it's just, it's like, it's terrible. And I would just sing and worship and pour grease in there and well, because it was out the back door. Everyone who wanted to quick take a smoke break would try to step outside and then complain about the smell and go back in. <laughs> but I would worship Jesus because in that moment, then they, I'd come in they'd be like, why were you singing? How could you sing? How were you not throwing up? Like It was just a moment and it was bringing the reality of like, guys, can I tell you about why? Um, so we are we do have a specific song that we want to share um as we're transitioning things. Because when we're talking about something that's real, how do you bring the reality of Jesus? You just live it. You walk it. If you want to praise him, you praise him. If you want to say a prayer, you say a prayer. There are plenty of times they saw me praying, there are plenty of times they saw me just standing there in the freezer with my head down, moving my lips, nothing was coming out, and they knew. Amy was having a moment with her God those are the that's how we make him present and real just being vulnerable i just i just lived it i lived my relationship with him and they could see it i didn't push it on him i never once pushed christ on them and they would always come back to me and say that i never once well unless they use god's name in vain they would cuss do their thing i'm like look you live your life i'm living the reality of mine and i know i have something that you need when you're ready to talk about it, let's talk about it. And I had so many conversations. But, because he is our cornerstone. And they realized that. They realized that. They realized that no matter what happened, no matter what task was coming at Amy, no matter how much management pressure, I was, he was my cornerstone. He was my rock. He was my everything. And that's literally, that's, that's all I want to share about all day. <laughs> he is everything. And the rock and the
2: cornerstone. Popcorn. Will you share popcorn?
1: About the, the popcorn prayer? Yeah. Uh,
2: the, well, so this is my best friend.
1: Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that. And yeah. when she shared share with that. me
2: her testimony.
1: I will share that, yes.
2: You know, when we share testimonies with each other, Holy Spirit will land on them. Things that we need to hear, revelations that we need to have, even on the smallest little testimonies that you may not think are important. And popcorn, Holy Spirit landed on that and it changed my life. That changed my life. And the Holy Spirit just showed me three things that and I so yeah, I want you to share the popcorn because that okay. that's
1: Yay. so good. Okay, because he's my cornerstone. So this is actually back up. I'll get off the whole food line thing. So during the times of the ups and downs, I was learning, okay, we're on a down time. We pray to Jesus. We look to him to provide. So we were looking for him to provide for our food. And at this particular time, this was the open up the fridge and there's only corn and milk kind of time. And I was very hungry and I was craving popcorn, like craving popcorn. And I can remember, and it wasn't even one of these, like, pray for three hours, rocking back and forth, like, God, I really want popcorn, like, please, like, interceding for it. Like, this is one of those, in the moment, like, God, I really like some popcorn. Like, I'm hungry. We're going to church. We barely have the gas to get there. We're praying for gas to miraculously multiply in the vehicle to get us there so we can get home. And we get to this Wednesday night meeting, and I was volunteering with the children, been doing it for many years. And I walk in, um, and they're serving snack, doing their thing. Well, we're getting ready to leave the service. And one of the mothers of the children approaches us. She's like, you know what, guys? I know this seems a little weird, but God really put on my heart that I needed to go buy you guys groceries. So I went to Food Lion. Here's some bags. Like, come out to the car. So we went out to the car. And we didn't tell a soul. We didn't tell a soul we were hurting for food, that we were really, really hungry, and then we needed some gas money, and we got out to the vehicle, and we're just going through all these bags. She's loading them up, and sure enough, in the bag, there was popcorn, and I was so, 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 so excited that that tiny little want, desire, in the moment of such brokenness, you know, those were the seeds of faith that sprouted to, for me to be able to grow up and do what I did at Food line and continue to do at a psychiatrist's office, which is like the darkest place ever, because of the popcorn, because of those little moments. in my whole childhood, I mean, I could sit here literally all night and tell you little, tiny things, little things. One moment going and be like, God, I really, really would like vanilla pudding. Sure enough, the teacher comes in and is like, kids, we're having vanilla pudding, and I'm like, thank you. Let's <laughs> have <not> vanilla pudding. <laughs> like, that was Jesus. See, we <laughs> same Holy Spirit. <laughs> like, those moments are so beautiful, and they really endear you to the Lord. And they're the ones, we began to look at them as secret treasures. You know, look for Jesus in the day, and look for those little secret moments when he whispers his love and his care. Because he met that tiny, tiny little want, that tiny desire in the midst of it all. And that sprouts up to what it is.
2: It's so good. And something else, too, that's so profound about your story. Because I know that sometimes you don't think that your testimony is as powerful as somebody who's been radically delivered from alcoholism or drugs. And it's such a lie because your testimony is so profound. The testimony of faith that you two have is so profound and it's life changing. But something about this one that's so special is she's almost 30, and she has saved herself for the Lord. She has saved herself. And she has faced so much of the enemy trying to come and take that and steal that from her. And she has preserved her purity and her sanctification for the Lord. And You don't know this, but I'm supposed to share this with you. She has done little things to preserve that. And it's really important for us to follow Holy Spirit when it comes to our brothers and sisters so that we're honoring where they're at. Well, Deanna and I both love hair and makeup. And when we, when the Lord brought us together, because that's another answered prayer, it's another testimony. I prayed for years to have a friend like Amy, and He brought you from Jersey and me from Alaska <laughs> to Wilmington. And, but when we started hanging out together, Deanna and I were like, oh, "We must do your hair and makeup," and you know, we we got to we got to do this. And and the Lord started. It didn't. It didn't feel right. It, it didn't feel right at all, actually. Um, it's why I've never done it. It's why I've actually never said, hey, let's do your makeup. And I didn't understand it for the longest time. And then one day, you started sharing about how you have fought to preserve yourself. And there are things that you purposefully dress down So that you're not an enticement. And the Holy Spirit was having me honor that. I didn't fully understand it, but I knew I was to honor that. Because, yeah, he is preserving that and he is protecting that. You're welcome. And in that, it's so important. We may not understand why the Lord or why Holy Spirit tells us to do or to not do for certain brothers and sisters but it's important that we listen and we honor that because it's very 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 important so lord so the worship song that they have is so incredible um we're going to it's cornerstone by hillstone or hill hill song <laughs> we're we're going to right we're going to worship in that but the holy spirit you you nailed it and and after that worship song if you want to do it before or after it's up to you but yeah to release The power of faith that you have, and to pass that on to everybody in here, to pass that on to who's ever listening online. It is the testimony of faith. And that is so profound. And the testimony of provision that no matter where it comes from, and, and most of the time it's going to come from a place that you're not expecting. It's like you said, it, it was so creative how he provided for you. And and that, it is, it is a testimony of provision, a testimony of faith, and a testimony that God will always show us. He gave you that dream. He showed you that you were going to, come through it. He planted that seed of faith at the beginning that carried you over that bridge to the end of it. So it is such a testimony of faith and provision. So thank you, Jesus, for that. So I don't know if you guys want to worship first and then pray afterwards or pray and then receive it during that time of worship. And yeah, that's okay. awesome. Thank you, Lord. I guess I'll start.
1: Oh, i got to stand and want to pray. If you guys want to stand with me, it doesn't feel right to be sitting. Oh, Jesus. So, I feel like maybe it's just because I've been working with children for so long, but usually before we pray in the children's ministry, we always ask them to hold out their hands like they're receiving a gift. So, I would like to ask in all humility that you come before Abba our Abba, Mm. and put your hands up like you're receiving a present because his presence is present. And Holy Spirit, Father, Jesus, I thank you for the faith and for the joy that's burning inside my spirits as we have released our testimonies because God, it is all about you and how you brought us through we have faith that you will provide whatever we need and that you were real and that you are constantly present no matter what it looks like in our situation, no matter what environment we're in. And God, I thank you that as we are in this house as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in the spirit, a family of God, I thank you for distributing a fresh touch Of faith, infusing that childlike faith, that trust. And I'm asking for a new sense of you being present. You are the God of yesterday, today, and forever. And I thank you that no matter what each person is walking through in this room, That they're going to start a new journey of understanding in a new way the God who is so real and so present to answer whatever they need. No matter what mountain needs to be moved, whether it's medical, whether it might be financial like we walked through. There are countless
0: others. I just thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And I'm just going to pray over you. Philippians 4. Four through seven. Lord, may they rejoice in the Lord always. Again, we say rejoice. Lord, may their gentleness be known to all men, for you are at hand. May they be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let their requests be made known to God and the God of The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard their hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.